And good morning, everyone, and welcome to Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. My name is Alexi Boyd, and we are in the middle of a guest fest with lots of fantastic experts in their fields sharing with you their knowledge and expertise that you yourselves as small businesses can learn. So thank you for joining me on the program again today. And we're talking about the gig economy we have been doing for the last couple of weeks. What sort of resources are out there? How can we tap into it as small business? And what do you need to know to basically keep abreast of the latest technologies? Last week, we were wel- we welcomed Melinda from Income Connections, telling us a little bit about her connections with all the different types of gig economy websites. You've obviously got the rare task because we're all pretty familiar with that. But things like uh, sharing desks or sharing space or even sharing restaurants in some cases, there's a lot of resources out there that we can use as small businesses. And today we've got a very special guest, Ben Eatwell, who's here from WePloy. And he's going to be talking to us a little bit about the gig economy when it comes to people and personnel and what small business can learn and also what big business can learn when it comes to small business as well. We're going to be talking about the managing risk and uncertainty when it comes to workforce design in your business, understanding uh, where uh, the more flexible workforce can be utilised by small business, but also we're going to keep in mind the importance of compliance and understanding what rules and regulations that you need to know about. So welcome to the program, Ben. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Alexi. Look, I'm excited about today's show because you yourself have got quite a history with, I guess we could say, big business, but you're equally passionate about small business as well. Can you take me a little bit through your journey and, and why is it that you, you really enjoy working for this company, WePloy? Yeah, so as you said, I've started off, I've worked for a lot of the big tech companies. So previously, before WePloy, I was working at LinkedIn and I, I loved it there. It's a great culture. It's really fun. But I've always wanted to be part of something and build something up from the ground up. And so this is when WePloy, I had a long conversation with with the co-founder um, over the course of about six months and really felt that the vision and what they were trying to do with WePloy in terms of um, building a fearless and empowered future of work was something that I re- it really resonated with me. Um, back in the day when I was uh, working, um, you know, just come out of university, I had this uh, dream of starting my own business and I had my business and I had um, a working on the side as well, but I could never actually put enough into my small business in order to make it work. So I was always worried about sort of paying the bills. Mm. Um, and so when when, when uh, the Tony, the co-founder, talked to me about WePloy and how we're trying to create a platform where anyone can come onto the, to the platform, get work whenever they want, it enables you to really sort of you know live your passion, live your dream. So if you want to have a small business or a side project, whatever it is, you can do that, but also have no fear about making sure you can pay the bills. So uh, that's why WePloy really resonated with me. It's interesting that you came from a small business passion and uh, mindset really to bring it bring it through it's something we're going to talk about a little bit in the show later on which is the way that big business almost seems to be emulating what small business does successfully with their with their staff management now let's let's get straight into it because there's loads we're going to talk about today um so talking about risk and uncertainty and i think that uh when it comes to hiring staff when it comes to growing and bringing on especially your first employee it's a big hurdle for small business and and it's there's a big fear factor mainly because people don't really understand what's involved but also trying to find the right person and the right fit so you know there's there's a lot of costs involved and that can put people off so where do you think um small business can learn about managing risk in this way and the first thing to do is make sure you get outside help 
from experts. Um, I think it's one of the classic reasons why all small businesses fail is because you're not getting the support or the expert advice that you need. Um, and so especially when it comes to hiring staff and payroll costs, this can be such a huge portion of your entire um, cost structure for your business that you really want to be making sure that you're getting um, as much information from people who have done this before, who understand it. Reach out to your networks, um, but also you know, reach out to um, experts in the field, or, you know, bookkeepers or whoever who can sort of give you that advice. Mm, it's very important, isn't it, to surround yourself with good people and, and find the right consultant. And we always talk about that on the show. We talk about, you know, check in with your professional association. See if they can recommend anyone that really understands the lay of the land when it comes to your industry that you work in. Um, you mentioned a little bit about understanding uh, the numbers. What sort of analytics should small business be aware of when they're trying to grow or when they're starting to take on staff? Right, yeah. Apart from the cost, like we all know about the cost, we know about payroll tax or pay as you go income tax, we know about super and how compliant we need to be with that. But what other sort of numbers should they be aware of? Well, with all those numbers, you need to be looking at what is your outcome. Um, so often you can get sort of data paralysis where you're just pulling in lots of information, but you're not really nowhere near where to go with it. So the most important thing is to know what is your outcome? Are you trying to grow the business? Are you trying to scale it out to new regions? Um, are you trying to find more efficiencies in the business? Once you understand that, that will give you some idea around the metrics. Mm. There's some things that, you know, you can always look at, you know, looking at who, if you do have a team, who is your best staff and trying to understand what makes up, what are the characteristics, where do they come from, um, what is their background, what are some of the sort of the characteristics that they display when they're working that will help you identify um, future uh, talent. Mm. Also looking at um, areas of the business where you might have the shortest tenure. So where there's a high turnover of staff, why is that? What is sort of that role? You know, sometimes we speak to a lot of people who have this belief that you need to have full-time employees. And so they have these um, roles such as in customer service where it's a very sort of um, high-pressure uh, environment and they have a high churn rate, you know, 25 30% churn rate. And they're continually trying to sort of bring people into the business. And it's like, well, actually, is a full-time employee the best person for this role? If you're going to get a high churn, maybe just accept that. That might be part of the role. Not everyone wants to be sitting in customer service and, and fielding, you know, hundreds of calls every day. So how can you think about your workforce design to make it more mm. um, realistic um, to your employees? I like what you were saying there before about the different skills that each of them bring. And sometimes you do kind of need to sit down with a bit of paper and write down all the skills that perhaps you're not utilising about your staff. And that will enable a bit more flexibility. I like when, when we met with for Coffee the other day, you were mentioning how um, the greater flexibility comes from the people that you work with. So if you look at, well, go back to their CV. Which part of their skills are you not utilising? For your business, that you really want to be making sure that you're getting um, as much information from people who have done this before, who understand it. Reach out to your networks, um, but also, you know, reach out to um, experts in the field, or, you know, bookkeepers or whoever who can sort of give you that advice. Mm, it's very important isn't it, to surround yourself with good people and, and find the right consultant. And we always talk about that on the show. We talk about, you know, check in with your professional association. See if they can recommend anyone that really understands the lay of the land when it comes to your industry that you work in. Um, you mentioned a little bit about understanding uh, the numbers what sort of analytics should small business be aware of when they're trying to grow or when they're starting to take on staff? Right, yeah. Apart from the cost. Like, we all know about the cost. We know about payroll tax or pay-as-you-go income tax. We know about super and how compliant we need to be with that. But what other sort of numbers should they be aware of? Well, 
with all those numbers, you need to be looking at what is your outcome. Um, mm. So often you can get sort of data paralysis where you're just pulling in lots of information, but you're not really nowhere near where to go with it. So the most important thing is to know what is your outcome. Are you trying to grow the business? Are you trying to scale it out to new regions? Um, are you trying to find more efficiencies in the business? Once you understand that, that will give you some idea around the metrics. Mm. There's some things that, you know, you can always look at, you know, looking at who, if you do have a team, who is your best staff and trying to understand what makes up, what are the characteristics, where do they come from, um, what is their background, what are some of the sort of the characteristics they display when they're working that will help you identify um, future uh, talent. Mm. Also looking at um, areas of the business where you might have the shortest tenure. So where there's a high turnover of staff, why is that? What is sort of that role? You know, sometimes we speak to a lot of people who have this belief that you need to have full-time employees. And so they have these um, roles such as in customer service, where it's a very sort of um, high-pressure uh, environment and they have a high churn rate, you know, 25, 30% churn rate. And they're continually trying to sort of bring people into the business. And it's like, well, actually, is a full-time employee the best person for this role? If you're going to get a high churn, maybe you just accept that. That might be part of the role. Not everyone wants to be sitting in customer service and, and fielding you know hundreds of calls every day so how can you think about your workforce design to make it more mm. um, realistic um, to your employees i like what you were saying there before about the different skills that each of them bring and sometimes you do kind of need to sit down with a bit of paper and write down all the skills that perhaps you're not utilizing about your staff and that will enable a bit more flexibility i like when when we met with for coffee the other day you were mentioning how um, the greater flexibility comes from the people that you work with. So if you look at, well, go back to their CV. Which part of their skills are you not utilising? Well, ask them, you know, sit down with them and say, what would you prefer to be doing? What What is it that you're lacking in development or in projects that you would like to do with this role? And um, I also like we were talking about it a little bit and mentioning about the flexible workforce and trying to find the balance between under-resourcing or hiring workers who can be more flexible. Is there is there a golden rule to that or is it really depend on what industry you're in? I would say not even the industry, but based on your business. Mm -hmm. um, so looking at when you have high peaks in demand, um, whether you are trying to drive more sales in a particular area, whether you have a high response rate. So all businesses have to deal with uncertainty. And this is the, the major thing. I think, you know, there's this term, I think, that was the US military used, which is VOCU, which is volatile, um, uncertain, um, complex and ambiguous. VOCA, that's it. Right. And um, what it, so it talks about sort of battlefield environments, but it's been used a lot now in business to think about with um, digital disruption, with a lot of technology coming in, businesses now have to compete not just in their little uh, sphere that they've competed uh, in before, but also you've got international players, you've got your big players, you've got your startups all eroding market share and trying to, to steal market share from you. Mm. In these sort of really in, um, sort of uncertain times, you need to be more agile. Um, the big businesses are really feeling this right now. This is what we alluded to around sort of big, big business learning from the small. They are, look at the big banks. You have lots of little financial services players now coming in and trying to snap little parts of it, you know, taking one little um, horizontal, one little vertical. And the only way they can try and fight against that is to be more agile and try and create more agility into their workforce. So this is where sort of thinking about, and I think the term often calls it, is a blended workforce. So, <laughs> you know, full-time employees are there. You've got contractors, freelancers. They can be slightly different depending on, on your thing. You've got gig workers. You've got crowd crowdsourcing is a way that crowdsourcing people, people. Crowd, well crowdsourcing talent so oh. using so um, in, in marketing for instance uh, user generated content is a really powerful t a way to communicate with your audience 
So we're actually using our audience to build content to speak to our new audience. Yeah. So you should be thinking about your customers as well as part of you know this sort of um, resource that you have available to you to sort of engage them and and as a way to build either more efficiency or, or generate more revenue or save some costs. And so if you're sitting there looking at, uh, say, you've got a particular project in mind, for instance, this is where um, big business is starting to become more flexible. I think you called it a, a more level playing field. Was that the right word? Um, yeah, just sort of a flattening out effect of of instead of having hierarchy and who reports to who and whose specific job role it is, nobody looks at job titles anymore. It's sort of becoming more blended, as you mentioned. Is yeah. that... Is that something that we need to learn from and think about using in our and utilizing in our own business as well? Definitely, I, I think that what we're seeing, and I see it in a lot of large organisations, was we, um, in terms of some of our customer base, we have customers from very small all the way to very large, and so we see sort of this what's going on in the in the industry, and especially and the larger companies, they are really trying to, and it comes back to this agility, how to become more agile traditional organizational structures which is very hierarchical so you have these business silos you have your marketing team your sales team your customer service team and so on those organizational silos are built for efficiency so they're built to everything's done to make that process more efficient but it really sort of that comes at the cost of being able to communicate and and provide more um interaction between the different business silos and mm. so we get this like these silos information and they spend thousands or millions of dollars on technology to try and sort of bridge those sort of communication silos it's like that whole thing between sales and marketing yeah. the fact that one group doesn't talk to another and for the rest of us we're going but you do the same thing so why aren't you just working together as a team and it's because they've been put in these these mm. organizational silos they have their own separate metrics kpis they they think in a different way now so businesses now understand that. They understand that they need to be more agile. They need to be more innovative if they're going to compete with these smaller players. So I see it a lot where they're trying to reduce the um, number of layers between the, I suppose, the workers, the employees, and the management, the senior management, trying to create that sort of flatten the hierarchical structure because what it does, it allows... It's going to be huge. I need to expand quickly. Uh, I need to surround myself with the right people and, and that's, where, that's where it sort of comes into it. I think, yeah, I think also there's, there's, there's an interesting... We talk about agile, which really comes from engineering. There's another um, term that comes from the engineering world, which is jobs to be done, which is a structure of how do you, how do you think about um, your product and how we you know, think about your product development. I sort of also think about how, does, how, how can we apply that into more of our... Um, human resources or or business operations because often I think sometimes we think about well I need marketing to be done so I need a marketing person and I'm thinking about the role and I'm not thinking about the tasks and activities that need to be done and so even by, by thinking in those sort of structures of this is the marketing marketing manager I want mm. is already putting limitations on what it should, should I be actually really sort of taking a step back and going these are the activities I need to get done in order mm. to achieve my sales growth or achieve X or Y and then what does that person look like I'm trying to find that person and it might be two part-time roles with two different people it might be half BDM half marketing it might be you might need two people for it working you know part-time or maybe you can use contractors for one part or freelancers for one part and you know hire a or crowdsource the the other part. There's there's different ways to think about it. So it's just being more open-minded and more flexible in terms of your approach to your staff and thinking about what is the best way to achieve the goal, not thinking, I need a marketing manager or I need a salesperson. 
Yeah, but look, it's a fantastic way of looking at it. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters and come back after this. And when we return, we're going to talk about the impacts on absenteeism on ba- on, on business and methods that you can use to try and um, annihilate those uh, those costs to your business. You're listening to Small Biz Matters. I, my name is Alexi Boyd. We'll be back after this. So today we're talking to Ben Eatwell from Weploy, who's been sharing with us some of his vast knowledge when it comes to managing risk, understanding workforce design and us learning from larger companies how they're becoming more flexible and more agile. Ironically enough, they're probably getting some of that from small business and the things that we do. But one of the main impacts on not only the bottom line, the costings, um, but even just workforce culture is absenteeism. Now, Ben, you place a lot of uh, temporary... um, uh, staff into organisations, and and one I guess one of the things they're trying to solve is the problem of a- absenteeism. What, how how big an, an impact is that on small business? Why is it so huge? I, the numbers I can't, but it's over thirty million that it costs the business, the Australian economy each year absenteeism. Um, <clears throat> the fact is that everyone is going to be sick at some point, um, so there is a couple of things we have to think about. Either what is the impact to our business in terms of the the cost associated with that in terms of um, uh, sick pay, um, all that sort of, all those sort of entitlements, but also then also what is it doing to the productivity? So mm. there's there's certain things that you can manage, and you can improve things with a really clear um, absenteeism po- policy, making sure that it's communicated. A lot of the time, we just sort of put a piece of paper in front of someone and say, "This is the absenteeism, absenteeism policy." No one reads it, and no one really understands what is expected of them. So maybe something you can I- link into your monthly or six or six monthly chat, six monthly monthly chats that you have with your staff is just reminding them of that. Or if you're feeling like that's starting to impact on your business negatively, but you have to be careful, don't you? Because there's a lot of legislation around the pressurisation of people when they are absent and and the reasons for which they're being absent. So just do be careful with that, obviously. Definitely, and you have to understand um, why that is the case. So you know. I've worked in organisations before where I've had to look for um, do the Bradford Index, which is an, it's a, a score that you it, it basically assumes that lots of small absences are more impactful or less assumes that lots of small absences are more impactful or less uh, more impactful on the business than longer, larger ones. Mm. So um, it really sort of highlights when you get to above a certain score, then you should need to have some more conversations. But but part of that was that was that score was only a trigger. Every single um, absentee had to be have a rework to uh, return to work interview. So, and that was to really understand, you know, was there any other underlying issues? Were there any problems that we could help them with? Um, just making sure that, you know, they haven't got some some issues that we we should be understanding and giving them some more support around. So, it's definitely often people can think of managing absenteeism in this very sort of you know stick way. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of you know we are the employer, we're going to. You know, we don't want absenteeism. We want, you know, to make sure that you're here every day working, you know, as a dog. But no, being like a a responsible employer, you should be thinking about the well-being of your staff, understanding that, you know, but part of that well-being of your staff is understanding that there is like an expectation on their their when they need to turn up to work. Um, what is what what is the process in terms of calling in sick? Um, and just being clear around that communication and just taking away all of this sort of inference of oh I'm calling in sick, therefore you think I'm taking a sickie uh, or you know it, there's there's a lot of like assumptions that go into this. So just being clear, having it written down as a policy, and just being. Um, honest and you know holding people to account um to make sure everything's clear in the open you raise a good point there with um people who are calling in sick Uh, yes i agree there is that sort of sicky culture that we have in australia unfortunately but what's interesting is um if you had a very clear policy on when you need to know 
then you can solve the problem for that day, can't you? I mean, if you literally say to yourself, look, if you're feeling like crap the night before, would you please just give me a heads up because then I can put something in place so I can understand what, what meetings need to be moved. But if you're calling me at quarter to nine because you've slept in because you felt crap the night before and you knew it, please be honest with me and, and give me a bit of a heads up because, yeah, and if you make that part of your policy and keep an open door policy, but you're happy, be happy for people to be sick. It's fine for people to be absent. It happens. But... Just let me know. <laughs> yeah, because the opposite of absenteeism is presenteeism, um, and that can be just as it, uh, in, impactful onto the productivity. So you presenteeism. Have, yeah. So if someone just sits at work and they're oh. ill, they're not really doing anything. What, making everyone else sick. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've fallen foul of this a few times before, where I'm sitting there, I can't concentrate, I'm feeling like death, um, but I'm turning into work because I've got a team and I need to be there for my team. Who you've and, now just made sick. Yeah, and I've just made them sick. <laughs> so it's you know that is just as bad. Yeah. So it's, you know, absenteeism is one, presenteeism is, is, is another major issue. That And I again, there are numbers on what presenteeism is, but it, is, it has a significant impact on the Australian economy as a whole. There's a bit of an elephant in the room when it comes to absenteeism, which is, you know, we're trying to be nice bosses. We're trying to enable people to work from home more if they're not feeling up to it, that maybe they can get some productivity done by working from home. But that doesn't solve some of the issues that absenteeism creates, which is not only a, a drop in productivity from you because you're not there but also because you're impacting the team simply by not being you know in the office it that doesn't solve that problem does it no i i really do i have a very strong policy in terms of if you're ill you're ill you know i don't want you working i don't want you doing stuff like stop checking your emails yeah it's like you know if there are really really urgent things but i want to really make sure there's a difference so there's you know if you want to work from home because you've got certain priorities, certain things you need to do at home and there's, it's not affecting your productivity, great, we can sort out a work from home policy, that sort of thing. But what I don't want is to have, I'm feeling a little bit ill, so I'm going to work from home today. That's not, that's sort of like, it's merging the two together and it becomes very grey and it not just impacts sort of, you know, even if they're working really well, it can impact other members of your, your team as well. If they're seeing someone always working from home um, and there's no policy set up for working from home, why don't I have that? It creates distrust. It can just create conflict. Mm. Um, so again, it's where sort of clarity around sort of the roles and responsibilities and, and a policy is really important to make sure that everyone feels like they're being fairly treated. I'll give you an example of where working from home could be, could be a positive, though. Um, I, I know um, one of my clients is a logistics company, Uh, They've had an absolutely phenomenal office manager. She's absolutely fantastic. But they're moving further away from where she lives. So the drive is going to go from being 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes each way. Um, She has asked to work from home. They've said no. They're going to lose her. So it's kind of, this is another way that you need to be flexible and really listening to your staff. I know from the way that this business operates that they're going to be it's going to have a massive detrimental effect. The, the learning curve for the next person to come in is huge. And she's absolutely fantastic office manager and, and, and has a great skill set. So in this way, this, this is where they're going to lose out. But I can understand it from the manager's perspective. He's thinking, well, unless you're in the office, you can't be answering the phones. Um, you know, the drivers, when they come in, they can't ask you questions. You're not available to them. Um, and I guess it's a bit of a... It's, it's a really tough one. You know, you should definitely try and be as flexible as possible. Um, and so this is where thinking about uh, not thinking about the role so much, but thinking about what are the task activities and can this can this be done uh, away from the office? Oh, it can because we're talking about bookkeeping in the cloud. So absolutely, yeah. those aspects can yeah. be done in the office. If you have to be there to answer calls or you know answer calls maybe there's a, a way you could do that we've got voip you know voice over internet oh, yeah. um, that you can manage that if you need to be in the office though office manager 
sounds like he might need to be in the office to manage the day-to-day goings, that's when it gets a little more difficult because mm. um, you don't want to be setting someone up for failure either. Mm. So saying, yeah, work from home, you can do this three days a week or two days a week from home, and then they're suddenly stressed out because then the other three days have got to catch up on the work they couldn't get done in the last two days. Or this could be an example of where you split the role. You have a receptionist who works the days that they're not there just to handle the calls and handle the inquiries, which then can be flicked to the office manager who can handle them remotely. It just seems to me quite a... um, a, a, a kind of a stupid business decision, quite frankly, because and, they're not they're not being flexible. Not being flexible, exactly. And so, so rethinking about that structure. Can I bring in someone to work? As I said part time, so they can go. They can uh, both go part time. They can have a job share, whether that's internal, whether they bring someone else on in a part time role to to manage that. There's you just got to start start moving away from this concept that I've got this role. I need a full time person all the time. Actually, let's just break this down, understand the tasks and activities, and let's just let's come to it with a bit more of an innovative sort of point of view and going, it doesn't have to be done by a full-time employee. I can think about different ways of do, doing mm, this, mm. whether it's, you know, job sharing. You know, there might be other opportunities based on, on those tasks and activities. Maybe they can share that out a little bit more into the team, or maybe there's certain activities that she can do full-time and take on new activities working from home. Mm. There's, there's a whole range of things that could be done based on the individual um, situation. Exactly. So it is a sort of one of those ideas where it's a bit of an old-fashioned think way of thinking. The office manager, the receptionist sits there and takes calls and not much else. Whereas, and, and this is a nice little segue into, um, into valuing your admin team. Um, I mean, quite often you see, um, well, if we take big, big business, for instance, with all the restructuring that we were mentioning earlier in the program and the flattening out of the workforce, what we're finding is that executive assistants are instead of being made redundant, what they're doing is they're just taking on more and more responsibility and more and more um, managers to look after. And I think there's a real skill set in the admin community that is not valued across the board. You know, now you've got more of this cloud-based accounting, more in-house work with, with payroll and accounting that can be done because it's easier to do now. But that's just one facet. Can you tell me about some of the the real skills that you think are undervalued in, in the admin, for, for, for the admin community? I definitely think admin is, is, is hugely undervalued. Um, we, obviously, at WePloy, we provide business support and admin staff only. That's what we do. Um, and often when we talk to these people, they, they think about, you know, bringing on specialised skills and think about, you know, I want someone to build a strategy or I want this expert in this certain field. They don't sort of understand that actually admin is a way that you execute a strategy. So strategies mean absolutely nothing if nothing gets done about it. (laughs) And um, we have so many of like managers and really great people who sit there and then a lot of admin work gets sort of left behind. I've done it myself in the past. I have got all these projects. For instance, um, in in a previous role, we wanted to do a big mail out to our top customers. Um, it's sort of the C-suite um, from our big customers, our top 50 customers. And we were like, okay, the first thing we need to do, we need to find out their addresses. Um, so we looked in the, into our database, our CRM, and it was a big company. We had a great CRM, and we didn't have their addresses, though. Okay, so, <laughs> all right, let's put this on the to-do list. We're going to go find their addresses, go and sort of you know fill out that data so then we can do this mail out for Christmas. So we had a few months. We go, okay, we've got a few time. Anyway, it just kept getting put off, put off, put off, put off. And in the end, we just scrapped the whole pro- the old idea. We we sent a few to the people we did have, but we didn't actually do this big sort of data enrichment project because it was admin and it constantly got deprioritized. Yeah. So that's, so that's just the importance of admin, but the skill sets are really important because with sort of AI and automation taking on a lot of sort of the basic data entry, that sort of, you know, that sort of uh, activities, 
the skill set of um, of an admin person now is, is really being elevated. So the, what I'm seeing as well is the stakeholder management skills are really quite incredible in some of the, the admin staff that are coming through. All of the employees that come onto the platform actually do a psychometric test and some skills testing. Um, and we look at a number of areas, but one is one of the key ones is learning agility. Hmm. Um, so that is the ability to take on complex information, internalize it, and then apply it. Um, and when we look at some of those um, scores that the people that are get, we're getting in from, um, you know, these are sort of not just Gen Y. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, Gen Y, isn't it? Yeah, Gen Z is the new one, isn't it? So, yeah, um, I always track. forget these new gens. Um, uh, they're, they've got really great learning agility um, and their, their ability to come in and, and take on sort of these complex abstract uh, ideas and apply them is, is, is incredible, actually, and probably better than a lot of the more senior people I've worked with in the past. So um, in terms of the skill set there, don't, definitely do not undervalue these people. They actually really are the driving force behind your business. Um, they the doers. They are. Otherwise, you yeah. just, as I said... You, it's, otherwise, you're just making butcher paper and putting pretty pictures on the wall and uh, there's, yeah. there's no... Lovely yeah. post-it notes yeah, on, on great a... Great idea. Yeah. yeah. No and execution. Then, yeah. <laughs> and it's, I guess it's distilling down those processes and procedures, isn't it? It's it's um, it's taking what is a concept and saying, okay, that's great. I mean, you, you had the idea that you had to go and get the addresses, but that's where it stopped. Perhaps there wasn't anybody with the research skills to go, yeah, yeah, all you do is this is where you look or these are the websites I'm aware of or or this is how I have done it previously. So there's res- I think research is a really big, big one. Um, and a lot of admin people are just pushed into the bookkeeping role or the social media role. But I think things like that, creating processes and procedures and um, understanding what that person can do. And when we met the other day, you mentioned that um, in a lot of ways, it's great to sit down and make a list of all the really, I don't want to say basic because that, again, undervalues admin, but all the tasks which I guess you don't have time for. um, And then I think people would be surprised by all those back-end procedures that they would, it's a wish list really. I would love, for example, to have a processes and procedural document for uh, how I how I how I engage with a new a new uh, a new client onboarding a new client. Does anybody actually have the process written down? That's, That's what an admin person can do for you. Oh, so that is probably I think one of the talk about admin and under undervalued th- those sort of process documents are probably the most undervalued document any business can have. Mm. The reason being is that you cannot scale a business, um, and in tech we talk about scale till it comes out of our ears um, but we always think about scale 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 10x 10x uh, but when you're thinking about scaling a business you cannot do that if you don't have a process um, so if you're trying to make up everything on the fly all the time um, there's no way you can scale that the most efficient way is to find out what's working document it and make sure that's shared um, and so i we i do it at weploy we um we, we are we've been in market for around 12 months now so we bring on employees in to document and write all of our processes so we can create these handbooks that we can just hand over so when i bring on a new marketing person a new salesperson this is how we sell this is how we go to market this is how to use the systems this is how everything and it sort of speeds everything up and and allows us that scale especially as we start thinking do we want to move internationally at that point we need to have all these documents written up and these processes in place otherwise it's just going to all fall apart and so if i was going to give one piece of advice i'd say if you are looking at growth and scale in your business definitely get those processes defined and get them written up because it will just streamline that that growth it's something that is an absolute must in in small business in particular because 
so much of the knowledge that you have is inside the handful of people that work in your business and inside your own mind as well. And, And that's where a lot of people have trouble letting go is saying, I can't, I need to find another me. I need to duplicate myself. Well, really, no, you're not perfect. And there are people out there who are can behave like you and also bring other skills to the business. And that, that is basically the definition of growth. Otherwise, it's just the definition of duplication. <laughs> and maybe there's things you're not so good at. Look, we're going to take another short break here on Small Biz Matters. And we'll be back after this. We're going to talk a little bit more about the structure of employment within small business and how you can learn from organisations like WePloy. We are on Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back. And welcome back to Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. We are all about small business education and today we are learning from Ben Eatwell from WePloy. Ben has a great deal of experience dealing in not just um, the flexible workforce um, gig economy subject that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, but also um, in in larger organisations. And Ben, I wanted you to share with me one of those stories you told me the other day about when you placed someone um, quite successfully into a larger organisation and how did that how did that person really turn the organisation around? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of examples and we always try and really understand what we're doing um, and the difference we're making because it really helps us as a business know we're going in the right direction and, and living towards that vision. Um, the One of the, the my favourite stories was, and it really shows like the platform and, and how it works so well is that um, we had uh, Kathy from Lonely Planet who was the um, HR manager there and she was coming into work one morning and talking for absenteeism she got a phone call from her receptionist saying she wasn't able to come in today she was sick and this is about 7.30 in the morning so Kathy was like uh oh um, normally how do I deal with this I need to have someone on front desk um, it's really important for us so she was going to have to phone around some um, some temporary recruiters, get some CVs, and she knew maybe at best she might get someone in about midday. Until then, one of her customer service team was actually going to have to man the front desk. And so that's actually, they only had a very small customer service team. Um, and so that was going to have a significant impact on, on the customer service. So um, she, instead, she sort of logged onto the platform, posted the job, um, and she, I think she posted the job at about 7.32. Um, and then within about 33 seconds, the job was accepted. And so when by the time Kathy got into work in the morning, so it was about nine o'clock in the morning, she turned up and then the, the employee, Audrey, was sitting there on the front desk. And she actually had bought some some donuts for her as well, I think. Um, just saying, you know, I'm here, don't worry. Um, but what was so great, so she had she had a bit of, um, although she was only there for one day, um, they actually kept her on for a little bit longer because while she was there, she actually looked at the processes um, that the reception was, was managing because there was sort of like a bit of a hybrid role, reception and sort of office manager, a bit of facilities management in there as well. And she sort of said, look, I've worked at other places before. Um, I think, you know, if we do this, this and this, it's going to be a little bit more efficient. We can actually, it'll be better and it can, Actually, free my time up a bit more. Um, so they implemented it, and you know it was they're running those processes right now. And this is just someone coming in um, from as a temp who's actually come in and redesigned some of their processes. Can I can I just put a spanner in the works here and say, didn't that tick off the existing receptionist? How do you man that? Oh, I suppose it doesn't really matter. She was just there to improve things, right? Yeah, she was there. She she called in sick the receptionist. Um, someone else came in, gave a. a change some policies and, and procedures and it would have made her life better as well but it, it wasn't in mind to try and take that other person's no 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 it's, they're def- definitely come in as just as um, i'm a, a short-term contractor just to sort of manage that uncertainty so yeah you know, um and you know if i can make the company a little bit better and a little bit better to work for um then you know and they really also lonely planet are really focused on building 
that workforce where they love to work. And so, you know, anywhere they can find it to make it a little bit better, a little bit easier, giving back some some work-life balance to mm. um, the staff is something they really sort of um, to jump on. So it was just a, a great idea and also showed that... And, uh, the, I remember Kathy telling me about um, this this Audrey, and she said she was always so impressed because she always had like ten other side gigs going on. She was always doing other stuff. She had his own little her own little companies, her own little ideas. She was doing this, that, and this, and she was able to you know that entrepreneurial spirit, that understanding of trying to look at a problem, and rather than just going, oh, that's a problem, going right, how do we solve that? Yeah, that sort of mindset was really powerful, and you know, and, and Kathy really loved, and and that's why I remember Kathy uh, sat down with her. She goes. Look, Ben, you know, you've sold me. Don't worry. You don't need to sell me anymore. Like, I'm never going to use an agency for these types of jobs again. And like, and that really has stayed true to this day. Do you think Weploy is a disruptor? Disruption. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. You can you can own it. <laughs> I think it is. I'm looking at, at, you know, my previous experience being, being in admin. Um, I would have jumped at the chance to have that because you, you provide flexibility not only to the people who are using the services and your clients, but also to... Those, I guess you, you treat your workforce like clients as well because they, yep. they are your bread and butter. Yep. But um, I would have loved to have tapped into something like that instead of just going, mm, just pass on my CV to a bunch of recruiters who don't care because they don't specialise in admin. This is the bottom of the barrel stuff for them. And, you know, when our big companies need help, we're there for them in those really small and important roles. Yeah, recruitment companies, you know, there are some really great recruiters out there. You know, absolutely. But the industry itself is designed around extracting the most margin it can because it's pretty opaque in terms of their pricing. So they will try and get someone to work for the cheapest amount mm-hmm. per hour, as long as it's legal, um, and then try and charge the client the most amount they can they can charge them. Not to mention finders fees. Yes. So you know, but in, in temp, it will just be like you know, I've heard cases where they will get someone for twenty four dollars an hour, and they will charge them out at sixty dollars an hour. Um, and wrap up that CV and say they've got this, this, and this, and and they've they've talked to the um, client, the the worker, and said you know, oh, this is a really great company, but they can't afford more than this. So their whole job is just extract that margin. Uh, that's what that's what they aim for. There are really good, um, as I said, I don't want to sort of you know tar every recruiter. There's some really good recruiters out there who are really ethical, um, but the industry itself is driven towards that mm. you know increasing margin. You know, but I think the big guys as well who just kind of blanket everything and have the same. policy and process for whatever job it is that they're placing. I imagine that the companies who specialise in certain types of recruitment, they really know the industry, they really know the roles and they're probably a better way or a better... um, better group of people to, to hunt out really. Again, go back to your professional association say, look, you know, I know you're not allowed to name names, but I'm looking for this type of criteria. Who do I go for? Local TAFE, if you're a tradie and you're looking for certain jobs to be done, TAFE's great. Community colleges are a great resource as well because they know their clientele. Their clientele are the students and they know them very well and they know their skill set and they're trying to help them develop different skills as well. Um, it's just an interesting... It, I guess the whole industry needs a kick up the bum and needs a bit of a disruption because it was just greed to me in my personal opinion it was just greed before and it was taking advantage of people who were desperate for work and it was taking advantage of companies who were desperate for personnel and then you're the you know the guy in the middle making all the money yeah so i guess wear it it's okay you can own that word it's not a bad it, word yeah, it's, it, disruption is one of those terms it's it's it's, it's uh you, i think that a lot of companies are disrupting i do think that we're doing something as a new that 
we are trying to build something. We're really close to our vision around creating, as I said, more flexible, uh, more fearless and empowered future of work. And I think that's we can create a future of work where it works for the employees and the employers. So we can get the best um, people who are really great at what they do, who um, can bring real value to an organization, um, but also make it sure that it's a bit more balanced. So they have as much, they can they can own their own work-life balance. They can own when they want to work. They're not beholden to an employer to say, you need to do X, Y, and Z all the time. They can sort of, you know, be their own, you know, the, the, the captain of their own ship. Well, to me, that's just advocacy. That's in a nutshell. I mean, that's the positivity that comes out of this as well as the support for that particular industry that perhaps has, as we mentioned before, been undervalued. And But also talking about the, um, you know, different places to find staff, I do think because often organisations can have this bit of a blinker saying, well, I need to find someone who has gone to University of Sydney or whichever university and got a, a 2-1 or a 1st. I guess my English uh, background. A-levels. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... And that's what they think about. So the, the, the other example I had was um, one of the big four uh, co- um, consultancies. Um, they brought on oh, an EA from, uh, from Weploy. Um, we placed her there, and she's actually just about to go perm. They're just about to buy her out. Um, she'd been there for, I think, about three, four months. Um, but what was so great about her was that when we had a sort of catch-up with the recruiter, they said, we would never have hired this person. So before she joined um, as an EAPA, she was managing an ice cream store. Um, and, but she'd gone through all of our testing. She had got incredible scores on sort of emotional intelligence, emotional resilience, and learning agility. She spoke really well. We, had a, we have a face-to-face interview as well. So she sort of um, ticked all the boxes. And so she got matched this job in um, PwC. And, and they said, this is like really changed our thinking around how do we go about recruiting. Why wouldn't they have hired her? Why wouldn't they have given her a look-in? Never would have got through the CV. Why? So, so because she had no big four or big accountancy experience as an EA or PA. So, and I remember when they first matched, because on the platform, the employer only gets to see the person once they've accepted the job, because mm. uh, we're trying to remove all sort of unconscious bias from the process. Mm-hmm. And they, they did phone us up and said, um, can you give me a little bit more detail about this person? Have they worked for like any of the other sort of big companies? Or, uh, But we sort of assured them, look, try this out. This was, it was the first time they tried the platform as well. So we were sort of a little bit nervous as well. Um, and we said, just try it out. You know, we, we stand by all of our employees. We, we trust them. We know they can do this job. So anyway, it all worked out well in the world. And there was a, definitely a few finger-biting moments, but... Um, they, yeah, they absolutely loved it. And now they're using the platform for a number of EAPAs and also some other, other work um, within the organization. Um, and it's, again, it's, it's, it's made them rethink what they think about talent and where I can find the best talent. So don't always think it's got to come from a university or a degree. You know, as you said, TAFEs, community colleges. No, what you've said there is that small business owners are the most intelligent, flexible and greatest workforce that the country has. Completely agree with you, Ben. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Look, thank you very much for coming on the program today. It's been really excellent. We've learned a lot about flexibility, understanding um, how we can do things better within our own workplace, absenteeism, the effect of that, the cost you know, cost-benefit analysis that you need to do with your staff. And, and I guess just basically really understanding your staff better and what their skills at are rather than, um, you know, pigeonholing them and, and thinking that this is all they can do. It, it's just been a, a great program. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Alexi. Now, how can small businesses find out a little bit more about Weploy and how we can use your services? Oh, very simple. Just go to the website. We're uh, weployapp.com um, and you can read all about what we do and sort of the services that we provide. And it's... um use us if you if you need us really mm, excellent look thank you once again and i look forward to hearing more about your advocacy for the uh the admin 
um, expertise, which is which is a very undervalued part of our of our economy. So thank you again for coming on the program. And uh, of course, next week we have yet another guest coming on the program uh, who's going to be talking more about their level of expertise also. And um, we have many, many people coming on telling us um, about uh, some of their areas. One, for example, was we've got uh, Gunnar Habits. He's an expert in cybersecurity. been talking to us quite a bit lately about um, the importance of understanding what your roles and responsibilities are as a small business. Uh, next week, actually, we're going to have a small business come on the program. Erica Armstrong, she's an expert in her field of tattooing and not something that we think about um, in a positive light. She's here to educate us a little bit about what the industry is going through in terms of rules and regulations. I think there's a real lesson to be learned there uh, for other small businesses and understanding where we need to push back when it comes to over compliance because there is an industry who's really going through the ringer when it comes to that. Um, of course, this is Small Biz Matters. We're here to represent an advocate for small business as well. So if you've got any issues you'd like us to bring up, we're happy to do that. We'll have some politicians on the show coming up in the next few weeks and uh, look forward to having the ATO come on and talk all about single-touch payroll. So lots of things happening on the program. Make sure you tune in every Tuesday at 9am on Triple H 100.1M. My name is Alexi Boyd and you've been listening to Small Biz Matters. Oh,